welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it! Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Everybody and welcome to episode 15 of Punch It. My name is Charlene Schmidt, and guess what? Tristan Riddell is not here because, congratulations, he had Bebe Riddell. Miss Ripley Riddell is here, she's doing well, and Tristan is attending to her needs this week, and so I have with me for this episode a very special guest, a little bit of nepotism at work, a very convenient guest, my husband, Patrick. Hey, everyone. So, we are going to talk about something today that you and I have bonded over for the entirety of our relationship, and it is in fact one of the things that brought us close together, and I am not kidding when I say that this thing is Beavis and Butthead. Well, if I remember correctly, Beavis and Butthead was what led to our first kiss. I believe it was. Strange as that is. Now, do you remember the context of that? What episode we were watching? I believe we were watching Cow Tipping on your computer. And we decided that we had watched enough Beavis and Butthead, and that's when I leaned in and kissed you. <laughs> so there you go. Beavis and Butthead brings people together. Now, if you have not turned this off yet, <laughs> because I imagine some people out there already have, and if you have, you're missing out. Well, of course, this is Punch It, and we're going to talk about the writing of the show Beavis and Butthead. I think to start off, though, one thing we really need to point out is, of course, the very network that Beavis and Butthead was on, and it was MTV. The original show ran from 1993 to 1997, and of course there was kind of like a reboot in 2011. We're going to talk a little bit about that later, but for most intents and purposes of this podcast, we're going to talk quite a bit about just the original run. Now, MTV was also home to the show Jackass, which <laughs> many people would say is very much the same thing as Beavis and Butthead. But aside from the fact that both shows have people doing really stupid things and it makes us laugh, actually, that's kind of where the differences begin. I think a lot of it does have to do with the writing because there is a little bit of a craft to write stupid good and so that's what we're going to talk about today. So first things first, this is an animated show. For one thing, this lended itself to, I would say, a broader range of exaggeration and comedy that is important to Beavis and Butthead, and lended itself to doing things that a live-action series could not. Yeah, and that's the thing about an animated show. There are things you can do that are way beyond the scope of reality, and I think that's what Beavis and Butthead did was went way beyond the scope of reality when we talk about destruction and pain that they run into. <laughs> I mean, it always resets at the end of every episode, but the amount of destruction and pain that can happen in an animated series goes far beyond what you could do in a live action show. Right, absolutely. So we're talking things like horrible injuries. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead just breaking themselves constantly in the hospital. There was the time when, say, Beavis got struck by lightning, and there was brain damage. 
sort of that sort of a thing. And then also things like property damage, their neighbor, Tom Anderson, the things that they did to that place, working at an insurance company would be a massive headache having to deal with claims from this guy's house, things like that. Yeah, the Highland Insurance Company was definitely kept in business by Beavis and Butthead. Or bankrupted, one of the two. (laughs) And it's also the things that they did at school and at work, the things that would get somebody expelled from a school or fired from a job, they were able to get away with, and they were able to get away with it in an animated series because animation, again, allows those things to kind of reset and allows that comedy to kind of be more over the top. Right. And I think you really hit on something important there. You said reset button. One thing that's important to know about Beavis and Butthead is every episode, it's basically nothing that happened last week happens today. So you have the fantastic reset button that we talked about so much about Voyager (laughs) into the journey. Beavis and Butthead, it's the ultimate reset button. Nothing that happened matters in the next show. So with all of that said, you know, making it an animated series gave it a lot of, I would say, greater potential. And now we need to talk about how do you write stupid in an entertaining way? Well, I would say the very first point, and we've already touched on it just a little bit with the animation aspect of things, is it's very basic comedy writing. It's got some very classic storytelling techniques. For one thing, misunderstandings. Definitely one of the biggest understand misunderstandings that you can think of when you think of Beavis and Butthead is the episode that I think is my favorite Beavis and Butthead episode of all time, which is Pregnant Paws. Oh, and, yeah. And when you start thinking about that episode, it's a sitcom setup where someone thinks they're pregnant and they're freaking out. We've seen that in a bunch of different shows, whether it's comedies or dramas. That's a, a fairly basic trope that you can wrap a, an episode around. Well, this time it's Beavis, and Beavis thinks he's pregnant. We all know men don't get pregnant, but Beavis, that somehow missed him in health class. And <laughs> and there you go. Beavis thinks he's pregnant, and he goes through all of these misunderstandings, and it comes back to that's something that we see in all comedy writing is this idea of misunderstandings. Right. So when Beavis is freaking out about weird food cravings and maybe needing to get a pregnancy test... What makes it so incredibly funny is the fact that he is a guy. He shouldn't be experiencing these things, but there is a part of him that thinks that this actually could be real. And for those of you who do not know the episode title, Pregnant Pause, and don't know if you've seen this episode, ultimately what happened is he's got just like a a big rumble in his gut. (laughs) So once he goes to the bathroom, he's fine. Well, yeah, he had some bad nachos, and then the episode ends with the line, you know, it's like when you think you're pregnant, but you really just have to take a big dump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so another really good example of the classic misunderstanding plot is when they go and get rhinoplasty in hopes it's going to make their penises bigger. <laughs> the episode title is Plastic Surgeon. And in this instance, the dialogue is really clever. It's a little more subtle. It's not as in your face. So like when they talk to the receptionist and ask if the doctor works on bones, and of course they mean their penises, but she says the doctor prefers working with softer tissues because he works on noses. But do they, do you think Beavis and Butthead know that? No, of course not. And then later on, the doctor's examining Beavis's nose, right? 
and uh, the doctor is just asking some questions he'd ask of any patient wanting to get surgery done on their nose and say, any unusual discharge or things of that nature. <laughs> but Or actually, no, Beavis asks, like, uh, Butthead said that it's not really a bone. And the doctor thinks he's talking about his nose. And he says, yeah, it's actually cartilage. And Beavis says, mine acts like a bone in the morning sometimes. I mean, and so there's not only a misunderstanding on Beavis's part, but also the doctor's. Because he has no idea what the boys are actually in there for. And it's hilarious. And it gets back to the idea that misunderstandings really help set apart Beavis and Butthead's stupidity. They were so stupid that misunderstandings became very, very easy to write to. And then what made Beavis and Butthead so unique with their misunderstandings was their twist on it and how stupid they really were to have misunderstandings that wouldn't work in any other type of comedic show. It worked in Beavis and Butthead because they were so stupid. Right, and that, I think, helps make... Writing, stupid, fun, entertaining, but also very clever because you have to think of these things outside the box. I mean, regular people are not going to go through these things. They're not going to go through life thinking this way. Beavis and Butthead, (laughs) bless their little hearts, they've got a very special way of navigating the world. So another way that the writing kind of exploits the world of Beavis and Butthead You've got the very classic workplace comedy. You know, they have jobs somehow at Burger World. (laughs) And so any episode where they're dealing with things at work also has kind of like that classic sort of a plot. So, for instance, the episode Tainted Meat. There's like a food poisoning outbreak, and it occurs as a result of something causing a lot of itching in Beavis's crotch. And, of course, Beavis doesn't wash his hands before handling the, uh, the other meat. And um, and therefore chaos ensues. Now, of course, anybody would have been fired and probably sued the pants of if this happened in real life. But of course, in the next episode, they get their jobs back. So again, though, this is taking a very common thing, people at work, but putting it in Beavis and Butthead context. Well, and there's another episode that does that, too. There, there's several episodes that do that. But another one that jumps to my mind is On Strike, where... Beavis and Butthead go on strike at Burger World, which makes absolutely no sense at all because they have nothing to protest and their signs actually say Burger World sucks, chicks rule. <laughs> so yeah. so what is the outcome of this? Well, they just get told by their manager to go back to work and they go back to work. And the idea of a strike episode is nothing new, but it's the Beavis and Butthead twist that makes it special. Right, and of course the twist is is they have no real due cause. They just don't want to work. Right. But the moment that they're, I guess, disciplined over it, they go back to work and it's all over. <laughs> well, in another one, we told you we we're going to talk a little bit about the reboot. And in 2011, there was another workplace Burger World episode, and that was the bathroom break episode, where they basically figure out that if I go to the bathroom while I'm at work, I'm getting paid to take a dump. So so they work it out where they basically take one long extended bathroom break for their entire shift. And because there's a lawyer there who explains to the manager that it's legal for them to go on an extended bathroom break, they just sit there the whole time. And it's, again, so ridiculous in its premise. But that's what makes the writing so good is that they're able to come up with this ridiculous premise that only Beavis and Butthead would get themselves into and make it work. And on top of it all, in this instance at least, get away with it. 
Does that make Beavis and Butthead really smart? So one of the other basic sitcom setups that we run into is the coming-of-age situation. How do we learn to be adults? And I think there's a lot of parallels between a show like Beavis and Butthead and a show like The Wonder Years, where these people want to be grown-ups, but really they're still kids, and they're still trying to figure out their way in the world. They're trying to be so grown-up. But at 13, 14, 15, 16, you're not grown-up, and there's so many funny situations that come through because of that. Yes, and Beavis and Butthead go through a lot of faux pas, especially when they're trying to get girls. They would like nothing more than to have a girlfriend, a woman, anything, really, any interaction with a girl, period. <laughs> that's, that's kind of positive. For instance, there's a great early episode where they have what they think is going to be a date at the movies, but ultimately what happens is their dates take all their money, and they say that they're going to spend it on snacks and then tell Beavis and Butthead to wait out in the back and then they'll sneak them into the movie. But what really happens is, of course, Beavis and Butthead's dates actually have other dates and Beavis and Butthead's money pays for that date. And Beavis and Butthead don't figure it out until after the movie when everybody exits and they know then they figure it out that they've been had. Well, and another episode that does that is the episode Pierced. And I think... You could put this situation in pretty much any teen comedy or any tween comedy on the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon where somebody is going in for their first piercing and <laughs> the boys go and get their earrings in the mall at Pencer Gifts and <laughs> yes. don't don't have permission from their parents. And because of that, they catch a lot of flack from the person in charge of the piercings. And so they end up going back to Butthead's house and using a drill to pierce their ears. Yeah, and you can imagine just how well this goes. <laughs> it, let's let's say it just it doesn't go well at all. And of course, the whole reason why they want to get pierced in the first place is because they see a guy with an earring and they think it's really cool. So they want to be cool too. Same situation as you'd see on a lot of other shows, but the fact that they drill holes into their own ear, I mean... Yeah, it's just taking it a little too far. It's that exaggeration once again. Yeah, it's that animation thing that you can get away with a drill actually hitting somebody's ear in Beavis and Butthead. You couldn't get away with that on something like Boy Meets World. <laughs> I would actually really love to kind of see that. Like, Corey gets his ear pierced and Topanga has the drill. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, in that instance, that's a very good use of the reset button so we don't see nasty, gaping wounds on Beavis and Butthead's ears for the rest of the show. <laughs> but no, you make a really good point with, like, coming of age. I mean, Beavis and Butthead, they're 14, 15 years old. This is a huge wheelhouse of a lot of the things that they want. I mean... And the thing is, they are so socially inept that everything they try goes seriously wrong. That's a big thing. But you know what else? I mean, it is just the mere fact that this is a duo. You know, this is a very classic, successful formula. If you think about things like Batman and Robin, Butch and Sundance, Lucy and Ethel, a lot of classic comedies do this. Yeah, Balky and Cousin Larry. <laughs> Balky and Cousin Larry. Great, great example. I love it. <laughs> These duos play off of each other, and in some way, their dynamic makes it even funnier. I think we ought to talk for just a minute about what makes Beavis tick, what makes Butthead tick, and why this makes a good duo. So to start it off, Butthead's the brains of the operation, definitely. Would you agree? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, things are his ideas and he makes the plans. He is the one leading the charge. And when you think about Beavis, one of his catchphrases is, yeah. And so when Beavis says that, he's almost always agreeing with Butthead's ideas or Butthead's plan. So Butthead is the one who's out in front coming up with the ideas. And then it's the pair of them that try to execute. Right. But I would say, forgive me, Butthead, but Beavis has a little more charm in his personality than Butthead. I'd say Butthead's a little more even maybe serious and straightforward. Beavis can roll with it a little bit. He can improvise. He can think on his feet just a little bit. Oh, and the other thing that, one thing I love about Beavis. Oh my gosh. I think the thing that I love about Beavis the most is his tendency to go on almost manic rants, whether it's Cornholio or if he's like sniffing paint thinner or something that, you know, you kind of get like that warped sound effect that comes in and he just, he goes off the handle. He flips out and just goes crazy. He can't stop talking and intensity builds and builds and builds. And then Butthead maybe will smack him or something. And then all of a sudden, oh, he comes back to reality. Butthead never does that. But Beavis, for that alone, adds some appeal. And one of the things that comes out of Beavis's ranting attitude and his go-along attitude is that he is much more impulsive than Butthead is. Butthead is much more even-keeled, and Beavis is very up and down, up and down. And I think that lends itself to some really interesting comedy. A lot of people often just throw Beavis and Butthead into the same pool, and as if they're interchangeable, and they're not. They have very different and dynamic personalities, and them playing off each other is often what's funny, where the manic part of Beavis totally surprises the really calm and even-keeled and not-too-high-not-too-low parts of Butthead. Yeah, totally. You kind of need that energy, almost where Butthead's more like the straight-line guy, and Beavis is the opposite of that, and that makes it work. But then meanwhile... Beavis's tendency to go along with Butthead's plan and Butthead being kind of like the brains of the operation, he is so incredibly overconfident in his ability to do just about anything. <laughs> that is also something that makes it hilarious, but you would never see Beavis really leading the charge. That is always, always Butthead because he believes in himself. And another thing that really sets Butthead off as the leader of the duo is that almost the entirety of the series is set at Butthead's house. We never see Beavis's house ever. So in that respect, Butthead's dominance of the relationship really comes through. That's a really good point. We never see Beavis's house. We don't ever even like, they're not even on their way to Beavis's house. We don't even know where Beavis's house is. It's always in Butthead's house or at some place where, you know, they are together, like school or, or work. And so, yeah, that's a really good point about just how dominant he is. He is the de facto leader, always has been, always will be. Kind of going back to what makes the writing of this show tick, now that we've gone through a lot of kind of like the classic comedy setups, one thing that I love about Beavis and Butthead, and it's kind of one of the writing formulas that it does, is... They take an everyday task, and naturally, Beavis and Butthead find a way to screw it up. And not only that, not only do they screw it up, but we have that exaggeration once again where they're going to screw it up even more, and the hilarity ensues. And you think about an episode like Die, Fly, Die, where all they're trying to do 
is kill a fly that's gotten into the living room. And <laughs> it starts with them trying to hit it with a shovel or a hammer. And then they bring out trash can and dump the trash in the middle of the floor to try to attract the fly. And then they bring in a chainsaw to try to chop the fly in half. And then they end up taking a dump on the floor. <laughs> I mean, the extremes that they go to really kind of lend itself to the yes and approach that you see in in improv where it's they're going to try to kill the fly well yes and they're going to try to use a shovel well and a hammer and a chainsaw and they're in a, taking a dump on the floor i don't remember them taking a dump on the floor do they really yeah where they are going to put garbage and crap on the floor oh okay okay yes yes they do that thinking it's going to attract and of course it attracts even more flies Go figure. I mean, we all know that, but in their train of logic, this is actually going to trap the fly so that they have a better chance of actually hitting it. My favorite of that episode, though, is where they take the bug spray and uh, there's no ventilation. They spray so much of it that they pass out. And then when they come to life, Beavis, I think, throws the can that breaks the window and lets tons of other flies come in because they're attracted to the garbage that's still on the floor magnifying the problem by the hundreds and that's the end of the episode well and another episode that does this is the episode sprout where their class assignment is to grow a plant and beavis and butthead of course pick corn because they want to make nachos and they get all these tips about how to make a plant grow and all of these tips get manipulated and twisted in the only the way that beavis and butthead can manipulate and twist the idea of giving a plant water well, but water sucks, you know? So right. so we're gonna give it we're gonna give it a fruity whip. Right. And they're gonna give it real food from Burger World because to them that is food. That's how they need to feed the plant. Right. How are you gonna feed it except for by giving it the same food that you give it? That you give yourself. Right, yeah, exactly. And then also like they don't understand how long it's going to actually take this plant to grow. So their frustration builds really quickly and they're like we could have eaten this food ourselves and we gave it to you and you're not even grateful for our sacrifice. How dare you? They stomp on the plant. And of course, this doesn't lead to a whole lot of success. Then you you have that yes and exaggeration when they're in class. Everybody has beautiful little sprouts of the various things that they grew. And then Beavis and Butthead have this droopy little half seedling of a thing. And Van Driesen says, well, I can't give you a, a failing grade for trying, but what's that awful smell? And we find out that Beavis fertilized the plant when it stopped growing. So <laughs> there's that lovely little twist at the very end. Well, and it's that same sort of thing where what elementary school student hasn't had that assignment of growing a plant, and none of us, I don't think, ever ended it by taking a dump on it. At least I hope not. Yeah. I mean, maybe there was one kid out there, one. You know, a lot of people thought Beavis and Butthead was just the devil of a show. They thought because these guys are so stupid that this was going to cause the youth of America to do stupid things. When really, aside from the one incident with the fire that got everybody all sparked up about this, and what two-year-old should be watching MTV anyway? Seriously, parenting. It's a good thing. Aside from that one incident... And the fact that there is a warning before this show saying Beavis and Butthead are not role models, I feel like in a way, sometimes Beavis and Butthead were a cautionary tale of 
if you let kids maybe be a little more to their own devices, or if America gets dumb enough, if our education system crumbles enough, this is maybe a foretelling of what things could really be like, but in a humorous way, because it's not real yet. Well, on a quick aside, my parents only banned me from watching two TV shows in my entire life. One of them was Beavis and Butthead. I couldn't, I was not allowed to watch Beavis and Butthead until they were certain I was old enough to understand the difference between real and fake. And one of the things that I think made this show work was that sometimes you, in, in comedy, you have this idea that there's two audiences. There's, there's the people that laugh because people are so stupid. And then there's the people who laugh because they don't know that they are that stupid. And <laughs> Right. Or we know somebody who really would do something this crazy and impulsive and that stupid. Well, and with Beavis and Butthead, I don't think you run into that, though, because with Beavis and Butthead, everyone knows that I'm not that stupid. Well, true. And I guess in a way, I mean, for the adults of us, it makes us maybe feel a little better about life. You know, for all the stupid things we have done, at least we've not done that. You know, whatever it was that Beavis and Butthead did that night. So I guess, I mean, there is that aspect of it. And that kind of ties a little bit into maybe Beavis and Butthead's motivations. And again, this is another big part of the show. This is another big wheelhouse of the writing. And of course, a lot of their motivations are anything that might get them girls, uh, food, especially nachos, or out of school because school sucked. And so watching them pursue these things and often fail, I mean, that's kind of what makes it entertaining. And like the one example that comes to mind right away is when the guys get their hair cut by this attractive lady and they go especially to her because she's wearing a low cut top and they want to see her boobs. And the thing is, is her boyfriend is Todd, who is the community like gang leader. And they look up to this guy. They think he is God, but he just beats the crap out of them. And even though they get their butts kicked, they're thrilled because at the end of the day, uh, maybe they didn't even get a good haircut, but they got to see a pair of boobs up close and personal, and that made them happy. Right. They set out to see boobs. They saw boobs. It didn't matter that their haircut sucked or that Todd kicked their ass. They got to see boobs, so feeding into their motivations was totally the arc of that episode, and they succeeded in that, and so why should they be upset? <laughs> they succeeded. <laughs> That's something I love about Beavis and Butthead, too, is... Their hearts are so pure. Despite all of those other things that happened to them, they achieved their one objective and they are so incredibly happy. Well, in another episode that does that is the episode by beer where yeah. yeah, where they hear about this beer that you don't need to be 21 to buy and they miss the part where it's non-alcoholic. <laughs> so they go buy the beer and they're sitting behind the convenience store drinking this beer and the police show up and the police, of course, think they're intoxicated. And then they realize, the, the, the policeman realizes, oh, you're not drunk, you're just stupid. And so, again, Beavis and Butt have, have succeeded, at least in their minds, of going and getting beer and being cool. And that just makes them so happy. And that's another thing that makes them so lovable is they're so optimistic. And anytime we get to see them feed into their motivations and actually succeed, it's so much fun to watch. And in some weird twisted way, you actually are cheering them on, even if it's in, in a subtle 
way. I mean, they don't often get a victory. And so when they do, you are genuinely happy for them. Well, and then there are episodes where one of the two succeeds and the other one doesn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So the episode Beavis and Butthead versus the vending machine. So they're going to go get sour cream and salsa pork rinds. And they're going to get it from the vending machine. Well, it turns out that the vending machine is broken and their salsa cream and salsa pork rinds get stuck halfway down after they put in their 50 cents. And so Butthead goes into the gas station and scores a whole bunch of day-old nachos for a dollar. And right, because he's supposed to get change. Right. But then forgets promptly <laughs> when he sees nachos. Right. So Butthead goes home with all of these nachos and Beavis is left to fish out uh, a nasty cracked M&M from the bottom of the vending machine while he's waiting for Butthead to come back. Butthead's totally forgotten about Beavis, who is guarding the vending machine, because they realize that if somebody else comes up to the vending machine and gets sour cream and salsa pork rinds, not only are they going to get their bag, but also Beavis and Butthead's bag. And of course, they can't have that. So that's what Beavis is doing. And then poor neglected Beavis. Yeah, he finds some poor wretched little M&M for dinner. (laughs) And he's there. We don't know how long till the end of time. And Butthead, uh, even though the universe is giving him cues, like the TV is saying, hey, are you forgetting something? Sour cream and salsa pork rinds. It doesn't even hit him. What happened and what where his buddy is? Well, and that gets back to the idea of watching them pursue the things they want to get in life. When people don't know how to do that, it ends up being pretty hilarious. Yes, yes. And uh, Beavis and Butthead, I think if there is a way to screw anything up, they find that way. And so that's a lot of creativity on the writer's part to not only think of uh, how to screw up the scenario, but how to, how to do it in a funny way. So one other thing that Beavis and Butthead did in a very good and charming way was, you know, sometimes the subject matter was not the deepest thing. And then sometimes it was, in fact, it was incredibly superficial. But you know what? Sometimes that really worked because of the format of the show. And that's something we desperately need to talk about right now. A lot of these episodes, I mean, they were really short, maybe five, eight minutes. Uh, And so... You can take a very superficial subject and keep it entertaining that way and make it fresh and do a lot of episodes because there were, even with five seasons, there were hundreds of Beavis and Butthead episodes. No, seven seasons. Oh, okay. My bad, my bad. It was five years-ish, basically. But yes, they did do seven seasons, I guess, technically. And then, yeah, because you're right, because the 2011 reboot was season eight. I Okay. And one of the things that we can just use the examples we've talked about so far, where a Beavis and Butthead strike at Burger World isn't going to last more than eight minutes. <laughs> no. So they were able to tackle some of these ideas that were outlandish and hilarious, and you could go along with it because it only required six or seven or eight minutes of suspension of disbelief instead of 20 or 22. Right. Another episode that comes to mind is like when Butthead gets stuck in the pipe. Dragging that on for 20 minutes really would be awful. But in five, it's hilarious because the news crews come out. It's a big freaking deal. You know, they have the welders kind of dislodging the pipes so they can slide Butthead out. And then, of course, the twist is that Beavis then also sticks himself in the pipe and gets stuck. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, that kind of kept, I think, uh, the idea or the availability of ideas open. Maybe just even the kernel of a thought 
you could exploit just enough to make an episode and then do it and move on. Well, and I think there's a reason why there was 14 years in between the end of the series and the reboot was because you needed that long to come up with 20, 22-minute episodes of Beavis and Butthead. It was really, really difficult in the reboot to kind of capture that old Beavis and Butthead spirit. It, I think the reboot felt a lot more like King of the Hill, which is not a coincidence because Mike Judge was involved deeply. True. But it also felt more like The Simpsons or like Family Guy than it felt like Beavis and Butthead because of the length of the episodes. They were much longer episodes in the reboot. And because of that, it kind of changed how the show was written and you couldn't have these stupid six-minute episodes of chasing a fly around. And some of that was what we old school Beavis and Buttheads fans really cherished about the old show was just that ridiculous nature that you could spend six minutes on and then move on. Yeah, yeah. And cut that with interruptions of a few music videos in between. And even though they did that with some MTV shows and a few videos in the reboot, you're absolutely right. Even though we've talked about classic comedy setups lending themselves to Beavis and Butthead, the reboot, I think, gets a little more formulaic so that they can stretch these episodes out a little longer and go a little deeper with them. Maybe they've got bigger topics, but it only went one season. They didn't keep producing after that, and there might be a very good reason why. Maybe Mike Judge got really used to doing things like King of the Hill, for instance. And also, uh, if you've ever watched the Beavis and Butthead DVDs, Mike Judge talks a lot about burning out and kind of getting these second and third wins where he would just be at a loss and then all of a sudden the ideas would start coming back but he was ready to be done when he was done and so I I always kind of wonder well maybe maybe Beavis and Butthead will come back at some point but on the other hand um, maybe he's done with it you could definitely tell for one thing that his voice is different (laughs) Beavis in the reboot is not the same voice as it was back in the 90s no not even close new Beavis is much 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 different from old Beavis and you can tell yeah which makes me kind of wonder if maybe they should have let Beavis and Butthead age a little bit to accommodate that change but that is very much an afterthought at this point well and one of the things and you touched on it very very briefly that carried over from the original run to the reboot was the use of music videos. Now, there were fewer music videos in the reboot because they realized that they needed to sell the DVDs and had to get permission before they used the music video. Yes, and this was, of course, after producing kind of like the greatest hits of Beavis and Butthead, the three volumes in the mid-2000s, where they tried to get a lot of rights for music videos and had a lot of difficulty doing it. So they realized, oh, well, we're on MTV. Let's use MTV properties. And so that's why you got things of the like of Teen Mom and Jersey Shore, all of which were still hilarious commentaries. And maybe we should touch on that just a little bit where you kind of had that switch in format between the story and then you go to these little clips where you kind of get to see a different side of Beavis and Butthead's personalities because ultimately this is sort of like a running commentary when they're watching a video or watching Jersey Shore. How many shows let you do that? How many shows let you pull away from the episode and just spend time with the characters? I can't think of another show that really does that, and Beavis and Butthead did it so tremendously with the music video breaks. Yeah, oh, I thoroughly enjoy it, and actually 
when the show was airing, I didn't like the videos so much, but as I've gotten older, I think I prefer the videos to the episodes, strangely, or at least it's more on an even keel, and I think it is just because you get this completely different side to Beavis and Butthead, and it's hilarious. You learn about their tastes in music. You learn about uh, some of their likes and dislikes about maybe some of the people that they're seeing, like, oh, God, Tori Amos, not again, you know, that sort of a thing. Or what they think about the teen mom that's on the screen. Well, and I think that the music videos help make them more relatable because you'd be watching a video and you'd be saying the same thing as Beavis or the same thing as Butthead. You'd be like, oh, geez, poison. And and then you hear Beavis say the same thing and you are just like, "Ah, you are my friend. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so in a way, it's almost like, you are watching the video like with them in your house. You know, you're inviting them into your house to watch MTV. And you've even given them your remote control. That's right. They're controlling it. They are deciding which videos you watch and you're therefore putting a little bit of trust into Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> okay, that is a mind blower. <laughs> well, and the other thing we got out of the videos and I know Shar loves this. is the dance breaks (gasps) dance breaks yes yes much in the way like how you know on charlie brown how all of the characters have their own little dance loop beavis and butthead had kind of their little dance moves where like butthead would be shaking his butt and beavis would be doing the hula and you know there was a couple different variations on it and it was hilarious just because if they were really rocking out you knew they really loved something all right so writing wise that's kind of I think the gamut of what made Beavis and Butthead tick and what made it so successful, it to this day is still one of my very favorite shows of all time. And Patrick, I I don't want to speak for you because you're here, but I'm going to guess that it's one of yours too. Oh, without a doubt. I think it's my favorite animated series of all time, although BoJack Horseman might catch up with it just yet. (laughs) But the idea is timeless and I think It will be one of my favorite shows for a very, very, very long time. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go away. And I think anybody, any kid who grew up in the 90s and watched this show, there is a timeless quality to it, despite the fact that it took place in the quote unquote modern times of the day, just because Beavis and Butthead's hearts are so incredibly pure. And that is something that transcends any decade. And as I think we've gone through on several levels today, the writing was really, really, really good. And you can come back to an episode, and one of the things I found myself doing is looking at each episode line by line and saying, wow, that was a really clever line there. And one of the things that I notice about Beavis and Butthead is there's so few throwaway lines. Other sitcoms will have a ton of throwaways. Beavis and Butthead was so tight and so well-packaged that they just didn't have those lines that you could miss and still kind of get the gist of what was going on. Beavis and Butthead was an incredibly well-written show, and we highlighted a bunch of reasons today why that was the case. But ultimately, the writing was the show, and it was, I think, the writing that made the show so special to me. Same here. And you are right. It is a very tight script. I mean, there is not time to be wasting when you have five minutes 
to tell a story, no matter how superficial it might be, you've got to get the job done and you use every freaking second that you can get. And so that is quite a skill. I mean, they had really good writers on this show and they made something that actually is pretty difficult look really easy and made Beavis and Butthead look really stupid. So, Patrick, where can people find you on the internet if they want to contact you? Well, I've recently canceled my Grinder profile, so... <laughs> you better have. <laughs> so I'm just on Twitter nowadays. I'm at P. Schmidt, and that's Schmidt with an E. Fantastic. And you can find me, of course, at oh, the Profanity on Twitter, and you can find my co-host Tristan Riddell at the Insane Robin, and he will be back shortly, just in case you are wondering... And before we go, we want to remind you, of course, to go to thenerdparty.com and check out all of the fantastic podcasts that we have coming to you every single day of the week, whether it is movies, Star Wars, Star Trek, writing, you name it, we've got it. Check us out. Check out all of the podcasts. If you like what we do, you're probably going to like what else is on the network. Also, go to Facebook and give us a like. You can go to facebook.com slash the nerd party or on Twitter. It is twitter.com slash join nerd party. Join in the fun. Join the conversation. Let us know what you think. We'd appreciate it. And until next week, everybody, this has been Punch It. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.